back to our comfortable distance between us. Yes, yes. And, a couple thousand miles away. Good microphones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the in-person feel, but not the in-person audio quality. Yeah, same, same. I'm a stickler for that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I like that we take that seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's worth sweating in this medium where, like, you know, it matters a lot. I notice it more and more these days when someone doesn't have a good mic. And yes, it's funny, too, because these are these are not like extremely expensive mics that we have. They're like it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like this mic is like 70 bucks or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason not to have good quality. You led me there. So I'm going to I'm going to do it. So I've been listening Mm -hmm. to the Honey Badger podcast, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is good. I like it. I think it's a good podcast. And I hope they I want them to do more. And I also want Ben to get a better mic. (laughs) We should just like mail Ben a mic. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, and his, and the other two guys, um, Josh and Star, both have good mics. So, like, they sound good. And then it's like, why is Ben in a cave with echoes? Yeah. With yeah. echoes. Yeah, that's how that word is pronounced. <laughs> I didn't sleep that much last night. I had, like, weird Vegas lag or something. I don't know what it is. But I went to bed kind of late and then woke up really early and my mind was just going. Does that happen to you? Uh, yes, that definitely happens to me. I actually had a night, a uh, similar experience two nights ago and i'm not sure if it was jet lag or what it was but i just like was up in the middle of the night and i thought maybe i should have just done like a sebastian ultra working thing and just like started working or something to try to like force my body to reset but i didn't do that i don't know yeah it, it was it was kind of frustrating because i like i felt physically tired but my mind was just like 100 percent activated it was like we're going right now and there's nothing you can do about it yeah and so i just laid in bed for like an hour thinking about stuff and then i was like well it's still only 5.15 or something, but I guess I'm just going to get up. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. So, yeah. So I'm in that weird sleep-deprived haze. But, you know, trying to make the best of it. Went to yoga, got a little exercise, did a little bit of work. That's good. So microconf is the thing that happened. Yes, yes. How was your microconf experience? It was great. I mean, as as always, like it's good to catch up with folks that I see once a year. I sat in on probably half the talks and they all seemed very solid. I kind of I had a little, little takeaways I took away from each one, I think. So all in all, a good experience. It was I kind of touched on this on our last recording, but this was kind of a weirder micro comp for me in general, just because of the place I'm at with level. I wished I would be further along and have more, more to report about, you know, how's the business looking or like, does it look like it's on a promising trajectory and it's just like there's so many unknowns right now because i'm in this small sample size phase and i've been doing a lot of thinking and theorizing and hypothesizing about how how, what kind of strategy should i take moving forward and how do i get the right fit of people in the product and how do i control the inputs and all that kind of stuff and so that's kind of what i came in with all this all these questions and floating around in my head and i found like it's really hard for people to answer those questions for me obviously like no one can answer all those questions i have in my head that's also ultimately going to come from getting you know people signing up for the product using it and me kind of reading the signals that way so i probably came in like hoping to have a lot more clarity about some of the specifics of the questions in my head and i think my biggest takeaway was like i need to invite more people into the product and, and get that ball rolling you know hmm. that sounds right yeah so are you are you considering starting to like like spend down some of the the reservation list and whatnot yep yep totally so i want to keep barriers low enough for people to try it out with their team so i know i a couple weeks ago i was pretty sure i wanted like people to pay money from day one getting into the product but i think after some conversations at microconf i'm skeptical that that is going to be effective like putting myself in the shoes of 
on the other side, like what would I want to do? I would want to really dig in and try the product and not have to put money down first before vetting whether it's going to actually work for my team. So I think I might experiment first with like a, a reasonable free trial and put some really consideration into the best way to nudge people along and incentivize people to get set up and offer my first tier support and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess that makes sense if there's like an aha or like a, yeah, like a kind of we get it and we like it moment that you can yeah. get people to. Yeah. And lowering the friction to that might be useful. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like some sort of alarm goes off with that. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, are you going to get people that are like actually serious about doing it? Or are they going to kind of like log in twice and then be like, all right, cool. I got to see level. Mm-hmm. But if they do that, it doesn't harm me. If there are a lot of people that do that, if 80 people out of 100 do that, it's not going to tip the product over. It's not like I'm going to all of a sudden have scaling costs associated with those type of people. I'm beginning to think that, especially because it's it's been kind of proven out to me that like I'm not necessarily good at handpicking who's going to be a great fit. I don't know exactly what that person looks like. So I think I need to put more people through the funnel. And if I start to see it really clicking with a certain type of person, then try to reverse engineer that and figure out like, what is it about you that makes you a particularly good fit for the product? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. It'll push you towards like a decision, right? Like so just like a, an evaluation point. Yeah. We were like, I, I put more people through. What's the feedback like? Does it feel like it's sticky? Are people liking it? And kind of get you to like a what's going on here? And if it's like everybody is, is unanimously like sign up for the product, poke around and do nothing, then that's valuable information for me to take and adjust from there. So I'm erring towards the side of like trying to get more data in than like keeping it so restricted, filtering people based on my own assumptions. Like I just feel like that's probably could be problematic and could be like cutting off good data that I otherwise could be getting if I just kind of open it up a little wider. Mm, yeah. So then you could go raise a bunch of money. <laughs> get on the growth trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. All kinds of free users. Yeah. Hopefully not. Yeah, cool. Well, I, I, that sounds good. I mean, I, I agree. I feel like you you need more sample size. Like you need more, just like try to push more people through it, try to get more people exposed to it and see what what's happening. I remember you and I were talking a little bit about, and you were just a little torn because you have data point from your your that that one team. And it's like, well, it's hard to know if what they're saying is represents a trend versus things they want in particular. Yep. So it's a, that's a challenge. Yep, for sure. It's cool. So any other uh, microconf experiences? Um, I, I mean, I think that was like my big overarching takeaway. I mean, I'm curious to hear what, what your kind of takeaways were. Yeah, well, so I was there all week. So it was mm-hmm. quite a lot of quite a lot of Vegas. Um, that's a lot of Vegas. It's <laughs> a lot of Vegas. Uh, it seems like Rob is also on the on board the non Vegas train. So it's maybe this will be the last year in Vegas. I, that would be fine with me. That would be awesome. Yeah. Vegas is kind of my personal hell in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm like very noise sensitive. So I like quiet. And Vegas is like, there should always be loud music everywhere. The intensity there like i had earplugs in at dinner a bunch of times and just walking around it's just like this whole place is just loud and flashy and just not my scene so much i'm i'm pro anti-vegas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bitching about vegas aside had a good time uh, so i did growth first and i stuck to my plan of not really seeing that many talks i did catch uh chris from wistia because i have to represent my my local team support the local team they're just uh, just over the the border and so I saw that and he did a nice job. And then I basically didn't go to any other talks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I saw two and then the Q&A with um, Jason. And then I was like, all right, cool. I'm ready to socialize with people. And that's what I did. And I hung out in the hallway 
and I had dinner with a bunch of people. I think I ate every meal with somebody else. It was great. It was just, just what I was looking for. Stayed up late talking to people, just sacrifice sleep to get more time in. Just in pure, like, being friends with people mode. That's cool. Was it mostly just making connections with people, or did you have specific questions for specific people tactically for Tuple? Or? You know, I, I, I didn't really have many questions. I didn't come with so much of a goal of, like, I should figure this out. Uh, it was honestly more, like, social. Like, networking is not quite the right word. Because I wasn't like, I want to get business value from these relationships. It's more like I get energized talking to other people that do what we do. And I like catching them up on what we're doing and talking late into the night about, I can, I can just talk shop forever and it doesn't get boring. So I just wanted to do that as much as possible with people that are in that same boat. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so that was growth for me. That was good. I did notice an interesting trend though. Like there are a lot of people that there were growth adjacent so they didn't buy a ticket to the conference, but they went there to hang out with other people that were going to growth. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So there were people that did that last year. There were more people that did that this year. And I talked to some people that said they think they might do that next year. And I think that's kind of like a trend worth paying attention to, where like I think MicroConf has 100% accomplished the, I, like the goal of like being the center of gravity where like all these wonderful people go and hang out. But I think there are more people that are getting more from the conversations than the talks. I don't know what, what kind of sign that is. Like, is it a bad sign? I don't think so because you're still like the hub. But I do feel like there are more people that are kind of like opting out of the talks, which which is what I'm, and I did it too. Sitting in a conference room and listening to talks is just not that great. I don't think it's an awesome experience. And so I get that the conference is a conference. And so being like, well, the conference has talks and that's how you do a conference. But at the same time, I've been questioning more and more like people listening to a lecture as being like the best use of their time almost. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great feedback to share with, with, uh, you know, Rob and Mike. And I know that, yeah, I should do that as opposed to on this podcast. <laughs> well, I know they, I know Rob listens at least. So. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, no hard I, feelings, Rob. I know it's something that, that Rob though, I, he talks about it publicly saying like the hallway track is just as valuable as the speaker track, if not more. And so I know it's something they're aware of. I'm just, and I'm curious, like it's a interesting problem to solve because I feel like a lot of conferences, you don't really see many of them breaking outside of the typical mold of having talks. And so I don't know what that really looks like, but I agree with you that it seems like there's like the model could be shifted a bit probably to, to put more emphasis on the hallway track. Um, however you do that, you know, I I agree. I don't think I'm telling them something they don't know. It could just be that if you've been to microconf five times you have so many friends you want to see that the talks don't make sense for you. But if you're like, if it's your first or second time, you have this activity to go do that you know is going to provide some value that if you don't have as many people to go talk to, it's sort of a, a good framework of something positive. So it could just be that like I and the people that have been going longer have like slightly different needs than the people that are slightly newer to it. I don't know how to solve for, <laughs> for all, everybody. It's, a, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah. And I think that like, if I remember earlier microconfs, it seemed like in general, the community was, was much earlier on in their journeys. And so the talks could be very, very tactical and like a lot of new information for most people sitting in the room. And, and, you know, minds were blown when Heaton Shaw and Jason Cohen would get up on stage and talk about like what it actually takes to get traction on a new product. And that was pretty magical at the time. And I think it still would be for a certain cohort of people. But when you're talking to a growth audience, I feel like the, it's harder to get more value out of the talks than it is getting from just conversing with people, you know? Right. And because you're, 
businesses like kind of drift apart, I imagine, as they age or they get more, they get more different. So it's like advice becomes harder to give for a large group versus at starter, half the people there haven't started. So you can talk about some basics and it's, it's very likely valuable to a lot of them. I'm guessing like kind of the, the split with starter and growth was kind of the first stab at like, how do we make things more relevant for people, which I think is a, was a good move. I don't know. I've been thinking almost there's like another, there's another split maybe. So as I was like speaking and emceeing over at starter, I was thinking like there's, there's actually a pretty big difference between somebody that has not started and someone that has started, but it's just new to it. That's a pretty different phase. So it's a challenge, but over, I mean, overall a huge success in terms of like all these great people show up and that's the most important thing. So like crushing it on that front. But I wonder if there's like another evolution in there that could make it even better for the slightly more seasoned attendees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I suspect there is. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, so at Starter, it was interesting. Uh, MC'd this year, which is pretty cool. Got up on stage a whole bunch. People seemed to like it. I didn't think I was doing anything particularly special. I was just kind of walking up and introducing people and then getting off stage and like telling people like, we're going we're gonna to go to lunch now and come back in an hour. A bunch of people were just like, you're crushing it up there. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Good. It's also interesting to just like be part of the conference almost at like the organization level. That was fun to see. Like I was, I felt very like behind the scenes and plugged into what was going on. And it was, it was interesting. Actually, I'd say my favorite part was I ran Q&A for Rob or with Rob. And so I got to think of a bunch of questions to ask him. And we had like a, a pretty awesome chat, I think, on stage. Nice. Yeah. Just like a live podcast episode, kind of. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I just basically interviewed him and like tried to hit him with some like a couple curveballs, and which he handled very nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was fun. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've I've seen you on stage multiple times now. You have great like stage presence, and I think it it helps when like someone feels very comfortable up there and that kind of instills comfort in the audience i feel like so that's probably i bet that's part of where the crushing it vibe was coming from it's just like just felt like a a nice warm environment with ben up on stage you know i hope i hope that's true and that's that would be great i hope but yeah so it was fun um overall like great experience was into it good conference yeah agreed i had this interesting thing i did a little little tweet storm about the this charge more meme that is microcom sort of unofficial mantra, which is a great mantra. And most people tend to undercharge and it's a big lever and most people should pull it. I'm not sure it's working that well, actually. I'm not sure people are, are really charging more despite being ex- exhorted to do so so often. For example, I'm going to pick on, I'm going to pick on a little bit. So Chris Gimmer, who spoke at Charger this year, Christopher Gimmer, uh, runs Snappa. And they're on pace to do, I think, a million in ARR this year. So like a successful established business and man, such an awesome story too, about the way he grew this really worth like checking out the notes from his talk, like microconfrecap.com really excellent, like a uh, content SEO kind of person. Uh, but anyway, so I was talking to him and I was like, oh, I heard in a podcast you were talking about, you should raise your prices. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm running a test right now, but starting May 1st, I do want to try like raising our prices. And I was like, cool, like, what are you going to do? Like, what do you, like, what do you charge now? I was like, well, we charge 15 now and I'm going to test raising it to 16. <laughs> okay. Very incremental. <laughs> uh, <it's> like, <laughs> what if <laughs> you tried 19 just for kicks? And he was like, woo. And then like we talked to him, like the table kind of yelled at him for five minutes and he's like, all right, fine, 19. It's so, like, I remember thinking like b- before I decided to do tuple and, and that rails course, like there's an interesting there's an interesting thing here where I feel like pricing is the most powerful lever you can pull for most businesses in terms of ROI, basically, on effort. 
and everyone knows they should do it and almost no one is doing it yeah and when they do it they do it too small Mm -hmm. i have some hypotheses around this but the first thing that jumps out to me as a reason why would be like it can be difficult to know the ramifications of a price change until further down the line than people are comfortable with would you agree with that statement like uh, meaning like we could raise our prices, but then then churn goes up or something. Yeah. So then you realize like, oh, this this group that came in at this tier is now churning out at a higher rate. And so revenue, you know, three months later is impacted in a way that like I wish I wish it wouldn't be, you know, I wish it were that like that's sort of a nice plausible argument against it. But I will say I don't think I've ever raised prices and then not had churn go down. And I think a lot of people have had that experience. But also, I just don't think this is actually a logical phenomenon. I don't think people are thinking through this in a rigorous way and then making a decision not to test prices. I think it is totally fear-driven. Just like fear that signups will just completely drop off and people will stop. I think so. Stop signing for the product. I think it's like, yeah. I think it's a little bit like you've built this really complicated application and you don't have any tests and you know you should probably do some refactoring and like add some features, but you're really afraid of breaking it. And if it's like your livelihood and the engine is running and it doesn't, it could probably run better and smoother, but at least it's running. And I think a lot of people are really afraid to tinker with the engine. And I get it. Like I don't have a working engine yet. Mm-hmm. Like it's not worth, <laughs> it's not working well enough yet. But I'm sure like once you've achieved, I suspect, once you've achieved that freedom, you're like, okay, if I don't mess this up, I don't have to get a job. That's awesome. And you start to stay in this kind of like, how do I not mess this up mentality? Snappa is like Christopher's thing is is growing. The revenue is going up. So like, why mess with it? You know, it's like, what if I think it's a lot of it is fear around breaking the thing that you maybe don't have full faith. You can put it back together. I think some of it is that it hurts to be rejected on price because price feels like a manifestation of your worth and people saying it's not worth that feels like a rejection of you as a person. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like those two things together. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And it's interesting because those are like that fear of rejection or fear of perceived lack of value or something like that is something that you like must get comfortable with in this role like like for example as i'm talking about increasing my sample size i'm basically inviting a bunch of people to come in and tell me my product is not good enough for them yes (laughs) which is a little bit terrifying to me for me it never really got easier and yeah i'm just thinking back to the drip days and it was always it was always tough to hear that and i don't really once we had more momentum it became easier to buffer against the negatives because you had a sufficient number of people who were happy and paying and you could always fall back on that but in the early days it's especially difficult mentally yeah this is maybe kind of just the other side of the same coin is you're secretly afraid it's not worth that price like you're so it's that thing where you're so intimately aware of your shortcomings and you have this constant i made this bias and so like maybe it is only worth 15 dollars a month and 16 will be the breaking point or 19 or whatever because they don't even know like we have all this performance work we need to do and if you don't save the thing in the right way it crashes and all the stuff that you know that's like insider info this just feels like such an interesting phenomenon and opportunity to me where i actually think maybe the answer is 
someone else should control your pricing. Like, I don't know that that's the perfect answer, but that might be one of the answers where it's just like, you just cannot be mercenary enough and cold and calculated enough to test your pricing aggressively enough by your, like by yourself for your own baby. There's something interesting that could be done there potentially. Mm. Yeah. I mean, similar to why people like eventually hire like professional salespeople who are actually good at conveying value because I feel like as a founder, like I'm, that's a major like hazard for me is like being able to adequately sell my product because, because knowing about the shortcomings means I am prone to just saying like, oh yeah, we need to refine that. Or like, that's not as polished as it could be. Like those are, those are my true thoughts, but really the customer doesn't need to hear that kind of thing. The customer needs to hear you put your best foot forward on, on how you can actually solve their problems. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm kind of fascinated by this phenomenon. I'm pretty psyched, honestly. Like, so we've tested a lot of pricing and I'm proud of that, I guess, because I was able to fight through that like fear and discomfort and whatnot. And I think it's made us a better company because of it. I want that for other people too. I would bet, hmm, <laughs> I don't have as much money as I used to, but if I, ha- <laughs> I would bet a chunk of my money that I could raise the price on Snappa to $25 a month and it would be a huge boost to their revenue signups would probably be about the same and they would just be making almost twice as much money from every new person that signed up and grandfather everybody else in and nobody will be mad and signups might go up because the signal of quality is now there it's probably a day of work it's probably a half a day of work and it's just like this giant lever and it's like i I told christopher i was like dude I'm i'm gonna follow up with you on may 1st i'm gonna email you and so like you better do this but I bet like if we hadn't talked about it, he hadn't really committed, like maybe that just would have fallen by the wayside again. You know, like it's just it, the scary things get put off, right? Because there's like a bunch of non-scary things you can do instead. And it's just like, man, this, this might just be like the smallest, easiest change you could make that would just completely change the trajectory of the business. It's pretty interesting because there's very few of those, I feel like. Yeah, know. that's the thing. There's not that many levers. Like where can you, where else can you get so much win for such little work? It doesn't always work. It might not work. I could be wrong. Maybe they've picked the perfect price point to maximize revenue. But I bet you, I bet they haven't. If you haven't tried a bunch of them, you probably don't have the right one. And if you're the founder, you probably started too low. There's something about this. There's something here. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity here. It's like when you look at the world, and you're like, why is this wrong? Like this thing that's just is clearly suboptimal in a, in a serious way. It's like, who's going to make the business or the something that's going to like fix this thing? I think there's something interesting here. Like there is definitely like a lot of consulting money to be made on helping people do this. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of talked about this before. And I pitched somebody at MicroConf on this and I hope he does it. Uh, But kind of like a competing checkout flow for your SaaS app where it's like, let's set up an A-B test where we send half of your traffic through your original thing and then send half to me. You got to just let me do whatever I want. And like, I'm going to have your Stripe credentials and I'm going to make new plans and I'm going to make new whatevers and I'm going to add upsells and other things. I'm going to like start by pitching annual or I'm going to offer annual for half off or like, like let somebody else try this. (laughs) This is probably just hubris, but I feel like I could just smoke most people's existing situation. Yeah, I'm, and I bet you could, but I bet, I mean, people have some, like you mentioned, people have so many blockers against that because they, they line their pricing up with what they think they're worth and they have all these fears around. I think there's some people you could sell on that. And then once you do, it's like, okay, in this month, you added this much MRR and I added this much. Like, do you want to send all the traffic to me now? 
Probably. It's like, great, now I own your checkout flow. Uh, I will continue to optimize this over time uh, and make it better. The pricing page into the checkout page into like the first run experience, it's got to be the most important couple of pages in your app. And I think most people don't spend that much time optimizing them. Like, have you run a million A-B tests on how to make an awesome credit card form and how to like decrease drop-off at that point? Like, are you showing a testimonial to make people feel good about it and whatnot? Like, I think there's a lot of good ideas there. And then like, yeah, are, have you tested a bunch of packages and pricing? And like, is anyone doing one-click upsell to annual? Because I don't think I've ever seen that. Hmm. Like, where, like where is that for SaaS? Yeah, yeah. Like, like you just signed up. Like, oh, by the way, uh, if you want to convert to annual, I'll give you half off right now if you do it on, on this page right now. Like, hmm, half off annual. That's pretty good. So I just, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this kind of stuff focus on like e-commerce business, physical products business and stuff. But I, yeah, I don't know how much, how much innovation there is around. Right. Around like where's the, the card hook out. for SaaS? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty somewhat where what company is just obsessing over those handful of pages and your pricing on them. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's money to be made there. Somebody do Some, it. Someday. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I got something to do. Mm-hmm. Just don't worry, Spencer and Joel. I'm going to, we're, we're doing tuple still. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I don't know. This business has been on my mind for a while. This is the second business idea you've talked about in a recent AOP uh, episode. That's a, that's a good one. The other one was that, that sales, that adaptive sales. Oh, page yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. You know? so. Yeah. It was interesting. I had someone who had a lot of sales background be like, oh, I heard that episode. And I thought, you sweet summer child, you have no idea. <laughs> he was, he was, he was uh, skeptical. Okay. All but, right. But yeah, we'll see. I think we are going to ship that uh, pretty eventually, at least a you know, version one of that. So we'll, I'll, I'll have some data. We'll see. Yeah. Let the data speak for it. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a silver bullet, but I think it'll yeah. certainly help at least, you know. Yeah. 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 I had an, inter- an idea today where like someone signed up for a trial or like a what we call a trial, um, but it's paid, um, a first month of uh, Tuple at a larger company. And I was like, I need to get everybody on this. Like, they, I know they have a ton of people, and I saw like three people like sign up to try. And so it's like, well, like, I should find everybody on our mailing list and email them. Be like, hey, just so you know, like, you should reach out to our contact. He's got a link that you can use and try Tuple. And like, I almost wanted to tweet it too. Just be like, hey, I bet I have a bunch of followers at this company. Like, just so you know, go harass this guy. But yeah, so it's kind of along the same gorilla sales, the same lines. <laughs> yeah, gorilla sales, exactly. Uh, so we started emailing the list. Actually, did you? Okay. My takeaway from MicroConf was like, I want to get going. Mm-hmm. Like, the product has really stabilized a good amount, and people are coming in and liking it. So it's like, all right, let's let's not. I feel like we were hiding a little bit before. We're like, it's it's still so kind of janky, and so I don't want to like push a bunch of people through it and have them think we suck. But it's getting pretty good, and I'm I'm antsy. It's like it's time it's time for revenue to happen. Yeah, yeah. And like the next round of feedback, like we pushed a bunch of people through it last month, and that was really useful. So like, let's get more. So I emailed 200 people, the 200 oldest email addresses on the list this morning, and then I'm going to email another 200 probably soon, shortly. Uh, and that's like 10 percent of the list. The list is like 4,100 people now, and had one yes so far. And this is probably like the low conversion. Like this is like now these people have been there for like over a year, I believe, or almost a year. I think we're going to work through chronologically. I don't know. Like why not? Think of it like a queue. I've I've been thinking about that, like how to approach it with my list. Because I know if I go to the oldest, that's going to be 
pretty low converting just by nature the fact that that it's so old and i'm like do i is that gonna be good for my psychology to be like working through the lowest converting first but it also feels it feels fairest to do that approach but i've kind of been like leaning more towards a random sampling um but mm. not sure yeah that's reasonable I, I pointed out to joel i was like this will probably be like you know a low conversion rate and he's like well then it'll just go up over time as we email more people <laughs> yeah no, that's right you could look at it that okay. way yeah. yeah yeah maybe that's good there's a fairness to it that i kind of appreciate where it's like yeah you signed up on day one like why don't you get the first crack at this if you want it there's some stuff in the, in the works some deals that might happen that would be great uh but damn i'm i'm feeling impatient yeah yeah as am i we <laughs> yeah we had our, a chat today, so we had our retro because um, we hadn't talked in a couple of weeks, and we have that like, how's everyone's financial situation? And today we're all kind of like, meh, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> not worth worrying about yet, but everyone, like, no one's like feeling rich, so it's kind of like it'd be nice to get some more money. We had some big expenses, like we paid for like a year of mixed panel and some other stuff in March, and so we like went below our like amount that we want to keep on hand, so we didn't, we're not doing like a uh, dividend on april 1st today uh so it's like damn it was more fun when the money came out <laughs> let's not have this happen again yeah. so yeah that's the goal is like try to never miss it again <laughs> that's my that's my new goal like hit it on march 1st and like let's just always have something yeah if we can that's a good goal so that was quite a brain dump yeah no it's all it's good stuff i have a, a hectic week ahead so i'm moving from an apartment into a house did you buy a house <laughs> You know, I didn't buy a house, renting a house. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <So I> damn. <laughs> <laughs> I need Bold. that. I need that down payment for runway. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I'm actually saving money and getting a little bit more space, so it'll be easier for you know family to come in town and visit and stuff like that. But just kind of the nature of it, quicker than I expected, we're having like a moving truck show up, and so I'm off today to go and pack a bunch of stuff and get ready for for movers so not exactly something i want to be doing at this particular moment but there's never a good time to do it so yeah did you you have packers are they packing you you know we actually i i downsized a ton when we moved out here and so relatively speaking we don't have that much stuff so we just have like a small crew of friends that are helping out doing it and i was actually planning on kind of doing the move myself but i um bought a refrigerator off of craigslist and I don't want to move that myself and I don't have a truck. So then I decided like, okay, I'll look for like an appliance hauler to like pick this thing up and move it from the one house to the other house. And they have like some kind of crazy high minimum of like three people, two hours. And I'm like, huh, well, what if I just had you stop by my place and pick up a bunch of other big stuff? And then it's like, what's your marginal? Like if I needed to add another hour on and they're like, oh, it's only 200 bucks more. And I'm like, huh, interesting. So they're basically going to haul all my stuff uh which was which is nice that'll be good i hired movers last time i moved i'm never going back yeah it's great yeah that would normally be my stance i mean i'm trying to balance like my the phase that i'm in and like let's be cost conscious let's try to do some of it like keep it in balance but i would ideally not like to be spending any time on, on the move so yeah yep yeah i mean yeah <laughs> Dragging stuff up and downstairs is a young man's game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm done with that. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. That's a good call. We'll see. I think I'm going to move too, actually. Are you? Yeah. I think so. I think I'm, I'm looking for, looking around. Okay. Nice. We'll see. This would be September. That's mm-hmm. like everything in Boston is like a September to September because to match with the students. Yeah. So, but, so I think this fall I probably will. Cool. But 
more on that later. All right. Oh, all right. Well, should we wrap up here? Yeah, let's wrap it. All right. Show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>